0: Genesis chapter 21, verses 3 through 5. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. Then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was one hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him.
1: Welcome to walking through the book i'm stephen mccrary and i'm Ryan bales and today we want to talk to you about the bible specifically we'd like to discuss with you genesis chapters 20 and 21 walking through the book is all about these three things encouraging bible reading for ourselves and for others to demonstrate proper and responsible study of the bible making sure that we understand the bible as the word of god and emphasize what the text says no more no less we want to keep to that word and hold to that word and so we're grateful to you for uh, spending this time with us today but before we start we want to let you know how to get in touch with us you can find us on facebook at walking through the book uh, or email us at walkingthroughthebook@protonmail.com. At you can also go to the website that uh, the podcast is primarily hosted on, which is northcolumbuschristians.com. That's for the congregation I work with in Columbus, Mississippi, the North Columbus Church of Christ. Brian, you want to go over the flow of the program? Yeah. So um
0: you can get in touch with uh, the congregation that I'm at in Savannah at Garden City, uh, coc.org, and we've got a Facebook page as well. Um, and so check those out if you're interested in ever visiting, visiting the area. And, uh, with the program, um, just like what Stephen was saying, we keep it, uh, extremely simple. Uh, we don't claim to know everything there is to know about the Bible or even the things that we're reading. And a part of what we're doing is, uh, even while we read, we're discovering, uh, more about the, the events that are at the very beginning of the Bible. So what we're doing in Genesis right now is we just read the chapter or chapters that we've uh, kind of seen as flowing together. And so today it's going to be Genesis 20 and 21. And after our reading, we just talk about some initial observations, some things that maybe stuck out to us as uh, relating to the bigger picture of um, the story of Genesis so far or things related to uh, the overall picture of, of what we see uh, throughout Scripture And on that note, uh, we we then kind of try to look at some themes, uh, some themes that we we saw in the text uh, as we read it as well. And we we always try to conclude with seeing some kind of application that we can take away from the text as well. Um, So that's what we're going to be trying to do today uh, with Genesis 20 and 21.
1: Genesis 20, reading from the New King James Version. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Indeed you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife but abimelech had not come near her and he said lord will you slay a righteous nation also did he not say to me she is my sister and she even she herself said he is my brother in the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands i have done this and god said to him in a dream yes i know that you did this in the integrity of your heart for i also withheld you from sinning against me therefore i did not let you touch her Now therefore restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham, and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you? that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin. You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham. And he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife.
0: Genesis chapter 21 out of the new king james and the lord visited sarah as he had said and the lord did for sarah as he had spoken for sarah conceived and bore abraham a son in his old age at the set time of which god had spoken to him and abraham called the name of his son who was born to him whom sarah bore to him isaac then abraham circumcised his son isaac when he was 8 days old as god commanded him now abraham was 100 years old when his son isaac was born to him And Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and all who hear will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? For I have borne him a son in his old age. So the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Therefore she said to Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, namely with Isaac. And the matter was very displeasing in Abraham's sight because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad or because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice. For in Isaac your seed shall be called. Yet I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman, because he is your seed. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and took bread and a skin of water, and putting it on her shoulder, he gave it and the boy to Hagar, and sent her away. Then she departed and wandered in the wilderness to Beersheba. And the water in the skin was used up, and she placed the boy under one of the shrubs. Then she went and sat down across from him at a distance about a bowshot. For she said to herself, Let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. Then the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. He dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it came to pass at that time that Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring or with my posterity. But that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I will swear. Then Abraham rebuked Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, nor had I heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves. Then Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? And he said, You will take these seven ewe lambs from my hand, that they may be my witness that I have dug this well. Therefore he called that place Beersheba, because the two of them swore in oath there. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Fikol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days.
1: Sheba means well of the sevenfold oath.
0: Interesting. It's interesting as well that um, there's two uh, two wells going on here. Because there's... And I think that's the thing with wells throughout scripture is when God focuses on a well, it's just like the idea is something life-giving and life-sustaining. And I think it's interesting, um, um, something that you know, just kind of stuck out to me with, with the flow is, um, how much emphasis there's been in just this recent part of Genesis on blessings that come from mere association with Abraham. So Lot, uh, because he was associated with Abraham, you know, he's delivered from Sodom. Um, and it distinctly says in chapter 19, verse 20, That God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. You know, so the focus is, you know, that he, he has an association with Abraham. Well, then you have Abimelech. He seeks out association with Abraham, you know, and he seeks to be blessed because of that association. And, and God makes it evident to Abimelech that there's a blessing in being associated with Abraham, which makes him seek it out. And then, uh, Hagar, uh, because Hagar and Isaac, or Hagar and Ishmael, I'm sorry, are associated with Abraham. They get blessed, and it's interesting um, how God focuses in chapter 21 on Ishmael and Ishmael being the reason for for Hagar being blessed. So, for instance, verse 17, Hagar lifted up her voice and wept. In verse 16, but in verse 17, God heard the voice of the lad. Um, so it just seems like it seems like there's just a, a purposed focus on that idea that, um, because of association with Abraham, there's blessings.
1: Yeah. And it, it it seems to me that certainly the Jews could have looked back on this and, and made these connections. And I think, you know, you see later on the Bible that they take that a little bit too far, right? Uh, the idea that, Mm -hmm. that, you know, we're the chosen people, everybody else is trash basically. Mm Um, Mm -hmm. that, that's not, of course, a graceful attitude, but, um, yeah, I think you make a great, uh, a great point there that it it all does seem to be stemming back to Abraham. And even though Abraham himself is not perfect, he walks with God. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's just some of the bigger things that we can look at here is the thought that because of Abraham's relationship, even though he does not get everything right, he's still blessed and and, and right. i think that's uh that's a great thing for us to take home uh later on in this episode i think the most obvious thing here is that we have a repeat re- mm. <laughs> a repeat <laughs> performance of abram's previous sin right and in fact what we're hmm. what we're told what's revealed from sarah is that he's been doing this every time they go somewhere and it's like this is an ongoing thing and let me say this too it's not really a lie, but it's not really the truth, is it?
0: Yeah, actually, you just said something very interesting. That when he was Abram, he did the same thing, and maybe that's a point of the text: is just because he's now Abraham, God is still faithful, and it's not that just because he's Abraham that he's not going to make you know the same the same kind of error. But God is still going to be even more. You know, as this progresses, God is going to continue to help Abraham even more as this progresses, which is interesting because you think about, you know, as a Christian, you know, somebody living in sin, not being a Christian, uh, it's sin is the same, right? You know, if I'm a Christian and I sin, it's the same. It's sin is sin, but how God can help me to respond to that sin as a saint, how God is able to help me to work through that. And maybe that's getting into application, but I just you saying this is something that he did when Abram and Abraham, I just, I don't know if I've ever thought about it like that before. It's just interesting.
1: Well, I, I, I kind of think about it in the same way, you know, the, the, the whole concept that there are times when Jesus calls Peter Simon mm. and hmm. there, you know, times when he calls him Peter. Right. Yeah. Um, and and so you know because peter kind of he has this these points where he just sort of goes back and forth right Mm. um but yeah the last time we saw this of course was back in chapter 12 and i think it's important for us to see what abraham is concerned about and build Mm. on that as Mm. as we look at this because you know what was abraham concerned about back in chapter 12 he's concerned that they're going to see this and and they're going to kill me, but they'll let you live. You know, His concern is over the beauty of his wife, which is just, you know, uh, and, and it's the same thing here. And he, you know, ultimately in verse two, the, it just comes up again. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. Oh man. Like, Something you
0: said there, just wow. Okay, because Sarah was so old. <laughs> like she, Yeah, yeah, that's kind of interesting too. She's like too. a super old lady, and yet, and yet, she's still beautiful enough where he's still worried about the same thing, and he's he's right because they do take this old lady, this old ninety-year-old woman, but okay, stick with me on this one. All right, what if that? in a sense, demonstrates the preserving power of being in a covenant with God.
2: Hmm.
0: Think about that with uh, yeah. the nation of Israel wandering through the wilderness. Their sandals didn't wear out. Um, you know, that God, Moses, right? Moses, even though he was 120, his strength had not wavered. He, he was still strong physically. He could see clearly Uh, and it just seems like there's a theme throughout the Bible. And of course that theme progresses into, it's not something physical, obviously, as we understand more and more about the nature of God's kingdom. But what if this is saying that, not saying, but, you know, kind of alluding to the fact that because Sarah's beauty had not faded, that it's, it's a demonstration of the preserving nature of God's covenant. I just think that's, that's very interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I could definitely see that. So yeah, and, and 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 Abimelech, it seems like he he sent and took Sarah. Yeah, and uh, I mean, did he just have the right to do this? I mean, he's i he's the king of Gerar. Maybe the king just kind of you know, well, I like her, send for her. She must have been extremely attractive. I mean, yeah, <laughs> must have been, must have been. And but you know, it's interesting too that in God's grace, He reaches out to Abimelech, doesn't right? He? Yep. at least that's the impression I get. Yeah, right. that's a that's a really great thing. Yeah, uh, that he he warns her, he warns him about her, and uh, uses rather harsh language with him. And I think that's one of the things that we can see is that it, it's, it, again, maybe we don't feel like the Lord should be quite as harsh to Abimelech, but the Lord has his reasons for talking to him in this way. Um, but maybe that was the only way really to get it, get it across to him. I don't know. Um, but Abimelech rightly says to Abraham, listen, you did wrong to us. You know, what? look what you've done. And, uh, and so Abraham explains himself, of course, and basically institutionalized, basically says that this is what I've been doing <laughs> every time we've been going somewhere. Uh, that, that I want her to say that, that, you know, that he's my brother again, What's a lie and what's a half-truth, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. And I think a lot of people get confused about that. And we'll, we'll cover that again uh, in a little bit. So, But, of course, uh, you see this, this idea that he's willing to lie supposedly to make things better. But it never really does make things better in and of itself it's almost like God uses Abraham's sin to bring about blessings and everything. And that's, you know, that's, that's okay. And we can see that overall,
2: Mm. but it still doesn't Mm -mm. make
1: what Abraham did. Right. Oh
0: man. That's, that's like one of the biggest themes in scripture that Paul deals with in Romans six, you know, that God's covenantal graciousness is so powerful that if you're evil-hearted, it'll make you think, well, I guess I can just keep sinning so grace can abound. But that's not the point. The point is that we need to understand that God uniquely is able to turn the curse of sin into a blessing. And it's not despite that curse, it's through the curse. Just like in Galatians 3, he says that Jesus became a curse for us and that he was hung on a tree and curses everyone who hangs on a tree. So Jesus became a curse, but through that curse came the, the greatest blessing, the resurrection. Um, so it's almost like, it's it, it seems like God is helping Abraham discover the realities of what he had promised in, back in Genesis 12. You know, those who bless you, I will bless. Those who curse you, I will curse. It's almost like God is helping Abraham discover that he can trust God's faithfulness, that that covenant is a place of refuge. He doesn't need to take initiative on his own. Um, Abraham doesn't do this again to my knowledge. And so, you know, kind of like that idea of Abraham not being evil hearted and thinking, well, God keeps blessing me. I guess I can just from here on out, just go ahead and keep lying and cheating and might as well do more wickedness then. Like, no, you can see that Abraham, his heart is purified through this because of his fear and love for God. That's just amazing. Um, It's just kind of interesting that the, The nations that Abraham had specifically uh, interacted with when he lied about his wife are nations that caused some of the most trouble uh, to Israel later on. Like, obviously, Egypt, you know, causes a huge amount of trouble um, to the people of God. But then the Philistines, uh, 1st and 2nd Samuel, I mean, 1st and 2nd Samuel talk so much about the trouble that the Philistines. Uh, gave to Israel, um, you know, David's life was one of conflict nearly exclusively with the Philistines, uh, more than any other people, you know. Um, so it's just, just, just kind of interesting how much Abraham reacting with these two nations relates to, uh, things that come later, specifically with these two nations, uh, as kind of like the focus of the troublers of God's people.
1: And and a seeming closeness with them. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. That, yeah. Yeah. It would have been, it would have been odd for, uh, an Israelite who, you know, in the times of like the judges or in the times of the early United Kingdom to read back in the books of the law and see that, there was a time when abraham and the philistines were friends mm. and had a had a good relationship mm. and in fact where abraham was able to dwell to some degree in the land mm. of the philistines and then of course we're going to deal a little bit more with in, in the next section with the greater aspects of these things but of course the the birth of the son of promise a fantastic huge event uh in terms of Abraham and Sarah's life uh, a miraculous event you would say and then we want to talk about Hagar we want to talk about another interaction with Abimelech later on
2: Grace.
1: So one of the things that we did want to talk about, that Bryant and I talked about before we started recording, was sort of this relationship between Abimelech and the Lord, and we've already discussed it to some degree, uh, but there are some other things that we sort of want to bring in here. Um, The Bible, on multiple levels, has a lot of examples, I think, of people who seem to be outside of the narrative that we're working with and yet seem to have some relationship with God. We've already seen Melchizedek. Melchizedek was high priest of God, the most high God. Um later on I think uh you know obviously one of the biggest examples in the New Testament I think would be Cornelius in acts 10 has some sort of penitent relationship with god although he needed to enter into a relationship with god as peter taught him later but he was ready to go you know um i think you could say that rahab later on has some knowledge of god uh i don't know how much she knows of god when she takes in the spies from israel but uh but she seems to be open to the lord and she is memorialized even the new testament as a great person of faith um and really i think another example and this may be a more minor example but the time like for example i think it's in mark chapter 9 where uh someone that the apostles come across is casting out demons in the name of jesus but uh they say because he didn't wasn't walking with us he's not following us then we forbade him to do so and jesus says don't forbid him if he's doing this in my name he's doing a good work um i think that's a great lesson for us is that you know even people outside of the covenant relationship with god he's still going to reach out to them from time to time and especially in in the past he has um now i think there's sort of a different idea that you know that people on the outside people that don't have a covenant relationship with the lord And what I mean by that is being a Christian, um, hopefully they'll have glimpses that encourage them to seek the Lord. I don't know, you know, I'm not talking about anything extra scriptural. I'm just saying, you know, certain things can happen in your life that make you think about things and really be reflective and seek the Lord. And uh, and, and certainly I think in Abimelech's case, here's a, a moment where he recognizes this is a serious, serious problem. And if he doesn't restore this woman, if he just keeps her, and regardless, hey, she's beautiful, I want her, she's mine, if he does that, that he's going to surely die. And him, not just him, but verse 7, he tells him, all who are yours are going to die as well. So this is a very real threat. Um, Everyone's understanding this is a threat. Um... Even though Abraham has done all this evil to him, though, uh, Bryant, you mentioned before the recording that the way that Abimelech really uh, comes back in terms of, of the way he treats Abraham uh, really reminds us of something else or someone else, correct?
0: Yeah, because uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 9 um it's 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 a verse that is is you know initially, if if you read it on its own, it's a very confusing verse. Uh, just the way it's worded is is really strange. But I think Luke sixteen verse nine actually uh, I think you could use that actually as a, a theme verse for the entire gospel of Luke and the focus of what the gospel is really trying to really trying to demonstrate uh, thematically. Um, But it says, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. You know, and that's right before Jesus teaches about the rich man Lazarus, which is a very, very well-known teaching of Jesus about a rich man who had a, a poor beggar full of sores all over his body who was laid at his gate every day. and Dogs came and licked his sores. And the rich man was just living sumptuously every day, just, you know, having a easy and good life and never bothered to pay attention to Lazarus, who's at his doorstep. And the way that the rich man could have fulfilled that verse in Luke 16, verse nine is if he would have treated Lazarus as if Lazarus was his entrance into eternal life, which for the rich man meant using his unrighteous resources and sacrificing those unreach- unrighteous resources to win the favor of Lazarus. And you see, that's what Jesus has done for us, is Jesus uses every resource he has that isn't itself righteous, and he sacrifices those resources to win our favor. And he treats us as if we are his uh, entrance into a relationship with his Father. And it's like, that's amazing because Jesus shouldn't have to do that. You know, Jesus is himself God, so he shouldn't have to bother with us he shouldn't have to win our favor we need to be the ones winning his favor but that's like salvation is not by works we don't we don't earn god's favor necessarily uh we need to understand his favor to the point where we enter into his favor Uh, and so abimelech it's just a really long way of saying abimelech in chapter 20 verse uh Oh, let's see where did it go Chapter twenty verse sixteen. He gives a thousand pieces of silver to Abraham. he gives him sheep, oxen, male and female servants, like he gives him male and female servants and I just think that's that's fascinating because Abimelech recognizes Abraham is his entrance into a relationship with God, and kinda kind of on that note too, I think it's interesting. Abimelech seems like a really good guy. Like, he actually seems like he's seeking a relationship with God. And even though God was harsh with Abimelech, God gave Abimelech the opportunity through this to get closer to God. And I think that was the end intention of this is that Abimelech, just like you mentioned Cornelius, you know, God gave Cornelius, just like he gives Abimelech here, an opportunity to get closer. Because they were already, in a sense, just like Cornelius, seeking God, but they hadn't gotten to where they could really know God fully. And I just think it's amazing how God orchestrated this so that Abimelech himself could inevitably, at the end of chapter 21, you know, not just honor Abraham, but enter into a covenant with Abraham. Um, so just, just how that all works out is, is extraordinary. And I think it shows, even though God was harsh with Abimelech, it seems, That harshness because of Abimelech's heart really turned out for Abimelech being humbled. And humility, ultimately, is how we get closer to God. I don't know. What what do you think about all that, Stephen?
1: Well, uh, you know, it's interesting. When you go back to the text in verse 16 of Genesis 20, uh, he tells Sarah, I've given you brother a thousand pieces of silver. What does this do? He says, Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Mm, mm. and it says thus she was rebuked, so there's this aspect here where I think I think you're rightly saying is that from this aspect, Abimelech has sort of a type of Christ or type of messiah thing going on here the fact that he gives of himself so that everyone in the land can know that these people are are good, they're okay, uh you know, I exonerate them. Uh, I I exalt them in these ways. And of course, Jesus does the same thing for us in His in, in God's grace and mercy. You know, Jesus paid the the ultimate price so that we can, uh, not just be, um, not just be saved from our sins, but to be called into an inheritance with him and the other saints that is eternal. And so again, you know, I, I don't think this is too much of a stretch here. Um, certainly I don't think we get the idea that Abimelech is going to be this great person of faith or person of, uh, you know, of God. But uh, I, I do think, you know, you see from this standpoint that it makes sense that later on in chapter 21, he has to come back to Abraham and say, now, you know, swear that you're not going to deal falsely with me. Right. And we have to see the fact is he did deal falsely with him. Mm, mm-hmm. And and again, just, you know, even if you tell part of a truth and you haven't told the whole truth that's needed, uh, you've lied. And, uh, and and we need to learn that lesson because it's just so easy for us to excuse those things. Right. And, uh, so, you know, of course, Abraham is willing to swear because of this, and they make this covenant to be able to show these things. Um, and really... Uh, I'm just kind of skipping ahead to that just to sort of resolve Abimelech before we get into Isaac and Hagar to kind of round us out today. But, um, you know, the fact that they had this covenant and the fact that Abraham was willing to have that covenant and to show him these things shows us something about Abraham.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great point, you know, because there's – there's something with that that I think is really interesting. Um, how Abraham wanted others to receive the same grace he had received, you know. Um, so I think it's interesting that God was actually willing to basically destroy this whole nation because of this one thing. And it shows how precious Abraham was to him, how, how zealous and how jealous he was for Abraham. I mean, Genesis 19, God destroyed an entire city for their, their sin. And it seems like in chapter 20, the idea is God considers it an equal offense to harm Abraham at all or to touch him in any negative way, that he's willing to do what he did to Sodom with those sinners. So we look at those sinners and we think like, wow, yeah, Sodom, destroy Sodom, just wipe him off the face of the earth. But then God shows us chapter 20. God considers it an equal offense to harm Abraham. And I think Abraham, um, his role, God's role, was making judgments, right? Abraham's role was bringing people into the mercies of God. And I think about, isn't that the same for us? That God's role is to make those judgments, but our role as as priests of God's kingdom is to try to bring people into the kindness of the Lord. I just think, amazing. You know, that these, these stories that just seem like, you know, events have these incredible connections in these surprising ways. It's just awesome. You know, and just the conversation that we get to have that brings those things out is, is just so awesome.
1: You know, getting back to thinking about how this would have been, I mean, you remember, Abraham is a man who was able to raise up a small army to free his nephew Lot. Uh, Abraham is a man who has been greatly blessed with flocks and herds by God. Um, and so I, I, think, I think it's, again, it's realistic for Abimelech to approach Abraham and say, you know, don't deal falsely with me. Don't, don't hurt us. <laughs> you know? Uh, you've got this nomadic people, but it's a, seems already to have amassed a, a large amount of wealth and a, a mm. lot of, a lot of herds, a lot of, a lot of good things. Right. But uh, so I think that explains why Abimelech is seeking out this covenant. And the fact that Abraham is willing to undergo that, I think, again, is this idea that he wants, he's willing to impart some aspect of the grace he's received. Right, right. Unfortunately, the people of Israel, you know, majority of Israel never really learned that lesson.
2: Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. it really
1: seems like, it becomes this idea later on that, you know, we can do what we like because we're the children of God. Wow. Uh, Whereas with you, no, that's not going to be the case. I, I, I really think, uh, you know, some of the later, what is the, what is the moment with, uh, Judah and Tamar where they basically, uh, they, they, uh, they're, they're getting Dinah back. Is that right? In chapter 38 of Genesis
0: you're thinking about uh Levi yeah Levi Reuben yeah that's when Levi Reuben um and that's that's earlier um let's see uh verse it's chapter 34 uh the three oldest sons of the three oldest sons of Jacob um go and destroy uh an entire city of people.
1: Yeah, and they they basically say if you become circumcised, then we'll be together. Mm. And they they agree to that, but then they go against their word.
2: Mm. Mm. And
1: and and there's this overall thing of like, you know, we're the children of God. Essentially, we're going to be okay regardless. You know, and interesting. That is very interesting. That's not a graceful attitude. That's a prideful yeah. attitude. That's right. That is that very interesting. Exalts yourself right um and so abraham's not not that way he's not beyond all this
0: it's interesting uh those three men who did that uh suffered long-term consequences this this is just kind of an easter egg fact but le- later in genesis the blessing the great blessing of the firstborn passes over jacob's first three sons because of that fact that they betrayed their word and destroyed that city and, uh, and lied. Um, you know, they had that, that, that indignation. And then, um, one of those, uh, one of those brothers went into Jacob's concubine as well. Um, you have to maybe fact check me on that one. But when Jacob is giving blessings to his sons at the end of the book, you know, it's not until he comes to Judah that he says, all right, so here now kings are going to come from you and Shiloh is going to come out of you. And so Judah, because Judah did not deal falsely, um, as those brothers did, that blessing comes to Judah and Judah became the nation that Jesus came out of and King David came out of. So, you know, God is setting up things that have very long-term effects, uh, which is interesting. And it shows again, like just the importance of you know, dealing truthfully, you know, and, and, and having the kind of attitude that Abraham has here.
1: Being, being willing to be tried, being willing right. to, to prove yourself. Um, and, and again, not unrighteously. Abimelech's not asking something that's unreasonable from Abraham. Right. Um, because again, you know, it caused them a lot of trouble <laughs> really, but, uh, oh man, I, one
0: one more thing on that, you know, and uh, there's just so much in this that's, that's just so amazing. What you just said is so good because God brought Abimelech to the place where he sought out entrance into the covenant.
2: Mm. Mm-hmm.
0: Think about that with Acts chapter 2 when the first sermon was preached. They recognized trouble and death was outside of that covenant. And they said, right. what do we got to do to get in this covenant? He brought them to the point of seeking it out. Gibeonites. In Joshua, they saw there was trouble and death outside of Israel. So what do they do? They humble themselves and they seek out the covenant. And that, that's the problem with Israel as a nation later when they went into apostasy is they forget. They forget the trouble that's outside of God's covenant and they stop seeking God actively. So that's, it's amazing that God helped Abimelech to see that no, he needs to get into this covenant. He needs to. And if he's outside of it, there's trouble and death.
1: Uh, I think we'll get into that a little bit um, in the next section as well, because that all comes from assumptions that we make. And I think that's that's what we're going to talk about in the next section in terms of uh, Abraham. But uh, before we move on to there, we want to make sure that we cover the fact that, hey, Isaac's born. Uh, this, this awesome, awesome moment, the son of promise, you know, I, and I, I, I want to recognize I've made a statement, I think, already on this podcast that's not entirely true. Um, I think I've said something to the effect of Abraham never saw, uh, any of the fulfillment of these promises. Um, well, I've got to balance that back, right? Uh, God did make three basic, uh, promises that, that, you know, he would give them the land, of Canaan, they would make a great nation of him, and through his seed, all nations would be blessed. And yeah, in the fullest extent, Abraham did not see any of those promises, uh, you know, fulfilled in his lifetime. But he did have the great promise of Isaac being born. Uh, he, he saw that here, and right. uh, and this was, of course, must have been a miraculous birth. Right? Um, people just don't have children when they're a hundred years old. Um, or 90 years old in, in, in Sarah's case, I think. And so, uh, Isaac of course means laughter. Uh, Abraham laughed when he received the news that they were going to have a child. Uh, uh, Sarah laughed. And of course she was rebuked for that because it was more of a laugh of unbelief. It's, it would seem, but, uh, what a great blessing. And what a great, wonderful thing that we see that you know. Again, this is another time where this promise that seems so far fetched and so absurd, uh, God delivers on it, and and He continues to do that all through all throughout the Scriptures. Countless ways that we could see that.
0: Yeah, kind of like what you were what you were referring to there with you know Isaac and the laughter. Uh, Proverbs thirteen twelve says, "Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life." You know, in life, life brings us joy. And it's interesting how much laughter is being emphasized with Isaac's birth and this promise. like uh, so you said, you know, Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and now at the birth, you know, there's more laughing and now she's saying it's not just them two. I mean, it's everybody who hears about this is gonna laugh and they're gonna laugh with them. And I think I think it is the idea that the joy of this promise being realized is 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 truly overwhelming. Um And I think it gets back to God's promises, again, should be too good to be true. I mean, there's no way this promise should be true. And yet the fact that God does fulfill it should just bring us an overwhelming sense of astonishment in the best way. And I think about it, Jesus in John 15, when he said, I've spoken these things to you that your joy could be made full. And I think it's the idea of of life, that God's promises are life-giving promises um, and I think I think that's the theme of Genesis: is that Abraham, everywhere he goes, life goes with him, and God is faithful to bring life and the fulfillment of the greatest aspects of uh, of what we seek in life through Abraham.
1: And yet, even in the wake of this joyous occasion, there's really something that seems rather tragic that happens. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, Hagar and Ishmael are sent away right now i think we have to go back and understand something it really seems to be at this point in verse nine that uh that hagar is uh is the one who is scoffing Mm. and uh there seems to be a lack of respect here i don't know what the situation is but i'm reminded of the parable of the prodigal son what happened when the son came home they had this Mm. great feast they Mm. killed a fat of calf And the other brother comes in from the field and says, what is all this uh, happiness over the son that went out and wasted all this inheritance? You know, um, it really seems to be a lack of grace and a lack of appreciation for for these things in terms of Hagar, uh, at least in this particular uh, moment. But, you know, God, even then, it's wonderful that we see that God is not harsh with her. Um, Mm. God actually helps her in her, in her problems. Mm. Um, Again, you know, verse 17, you know, she's sent off by Abraham and and really, you know, this is God telling him, go ahead and do this. Listen to Sarah, Mm. go ahead and do this. Weird situation, right? Because God, has, has previously, told H- previously told Hagar, go back and submit yourself to uh, mm-hmm. the woman that's over you, basically. Submit yourself to Sarai. Um, but now he's agreeing for her to be sent off. But there's a reason, there is indeed a reason for all of this that we can see. Because in verse 13, I will also make a nation of the son of the bondwoman because he is your seed. Mm-hmm. Um. And so God God deals well with her, he takes care of her. Uh you have this well that appears uh seemingly out of nowhere. Um but I think if we get some perspective out of this, I think we should take a look at uh Galatians chapter 4 because there's something that Paul writes mm. about this in Galatians mm-hmm. 4 that will really help us out here. Uh, right. to really bring some bring some context to it. Um so Galatians 4 In verse 22 for it is written that Abraham had two sons the one by a bondwoman the other by a free woman but he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh and he of the free woman through promise which things are symbolic for these are the two covenants the one from Mount Sinai which gives birth to bondage which is Hagar for this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem which now is and is in bondage with her children but the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all, for it is written, "Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear; break forth and shout, you who are not in labor." For the desolate has many more children than she has who has a hut. Excuse me. Than she who has a husband. Now we brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh then persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, even so it is now nevertheless what does the scripture say cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman so then brethren we are not children children of the bondwoman but of the free of course paul is making this point in a letter where he is primarily encouraging the christians in galatia to not turn back to the old law to incorporate the old law with uh, what they had found in the new covenant meaning that circumcision was not a requirement and is not a requirement in terms of being a Christian. And he's using this situation with Hagar and Sarah, uh, Ishmael and Isaac to make the broader point that, you know, Jerusalem as it was then in the first century was just like Hagar and Ishmael was, uh, they were to be sent off, uh, no ill will, um, toward them per se but the fact remains that this is how god has designed his blessings to be bestowed through this is the way that he's Mm -hmm. planned right and uh and we can rejoice in that we can we can appreciate that um and so I, i think that's that's really the bigger thing that we see here is that you you have these two different covenants that we see in terms of the bible and ultimately uh, and under the new covenant we are part of the jerusalem which is above which is free right and then you contrast that in that same way i think it's beautiful that we can really again we have another part of genesis that seems like it may only be here to show that greater point in terms of the bible to really help us to see that now I'm not saying that this is all symbolic and that none of this no this really did happen but i am saying that that this is being used in the greater sense to show us something about god's god's will and god's purpose in his uh, ultimate covenants with man
0: i did want to make a comment on what you were just pointing out really quick uh so just kind of on the note of that scripture in genesis chapter four or i'm sorry a note on galatians chapter four um i think one of the one of the greater themes that we find in genesis with all the different separations that are being made that you know galatians refers back to here uh the beginning of the greatest commandment is hear O israel the lord your god is one god and i think one of the themes that we see is god doesn't doesn't mix things in his covenantal relationship with people. He doesn't mix slavery and liberty. He doesn't mix life and death. The one has to be eliminated for the one to remain. So slavery has to be cast out for the covenant to be entirely of liberty. Uh, sin has to be cast out for holiness to be there. But I think Galatians 4 is making the point that the flesh and the spirit cannot dwell together. The one will always result in hostility. You can't mingle the flesh with the covenants of life and the spirit. And so what the Galatians were struggling with is people were teaching the law of Moses and saying, no, 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 you have the covenants of the spirit of God and of the heavenly covenant. Well, we still need to keep, though, the ordinances of the flesh that were in the law. And the point is, no, there is a singularity in the covenant of the spirit, and everything of this covenant is of the spirit of God, and not of the flesh, which is what the law of Moses uh, had. And so, so anyway, I think I just Genesis twenty-one, and just you're seeing that separation that the 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 son of the free woman, the son of the promise, cannot dwell with the son of the slave woman.
1: So one of the biggest things that I noticed, uh, in terms of this is that I think often assumptions can lead to sin. Um, it, it, we see a really big assumption by Abraham in chapter 20 verse 11, mm-hmm. because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place and they will kill me on account of my wife. Um, What's Abraham primarily concerned with there he seems to be concerned with fear of the world, fear of what will happen to him physically, and that's I think we can see overall that's not the right kind of of attitude and the right kind of focus again, I'm not dumping on Abraham here, but I'm just saying this is a good lesson for us to learn that uh you know, if you're faced with a situation, make sure that you don't bring these worldly assumptions into play. Um, you know, this person doesn't like me, so they're not going to want me to talk to them about X, Y, or Z. Um I I, I, I can't really think of any other assumptions we might make, but I, I do think that those assumptions can lead to sin. It's the idea that I have to do this. I have to do this so that this doesn't happen. Well... You don't really have to do this if you go back to the idea of reality, really, this gets to a point where we need to understand that you know we've talked about Abraham being in this covenant relationship with God. We've talked about the fact that God is blessing him and that grace is surrounding him really and and he's trying to show that grace to others. But I think one of the biggest examples, one of the biggest things we can take from the fact that Abraham lies in this sense is that God's grace is not about enabling us, uh, but it's about magnifying him. It's about making sure that that I'm not doing something just because I can do it. Uh, I'm not not doing this just because I can do it. I have to do it on an aspect of, does this glorify God? Is this bringing glory to him, or is it bringing glory to me? Um, and, And I think even in the sense of, protecting ourselves and protecting our lives, there's an aspect there that we bring glory to ourselves in that same way.
2: Mm.
0: Yeah, and I think on that note, you know, an application of uh, chapter 20, verse 17, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. You know, God in the New Testament tells Christians to be intercessors uh, for the wicked. Um, Pray for all. That's right. Pray
1: for everyone.
0: That's right. That's right. You know, and that's what you see Jesus's ultimate role became is to intercede. Uh, you know, God wants us wherever we are, whatever circumstance we're in. You know, if you are a saint of the Lord, you know, the role of a priest is, is to connect the people around you to God. And that just that happens in prayer, but it happens in the same way Abraham dealt with this in, in a sense where people need to see people need to see that they need to get into a covenant with God. You know they need to see their sin but they need to see the graciousness that's within that covenant and and prayer is, a, is such a major part of that you know we, we we really do need to be praying for the people around us who aren't christians that you know they could be moved to get into a covenantal relationship with the lord you know just like jesus when he said father forgive them they do not know what they're doing you know that was an intercession prayer uh, and i just think that abraham is such a good example of that
1: paul speaks toward this in first timothy 2 right where he's saying i exhort first of all that mm-hmm. supplications prayers mm-hmm. intercessions and giving of thanks be made for mm-hmm. all men and he talks about kings in there and w- but but what's the purpose and he says in verse 3 this is good and acceptable in the sight of god our savior who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth so it's the idea that why are we supposed to be praying it's not just that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life verse 2 it's that all these people that we're praying for can right. be saved and come to, a to to the knowledge of the truth. That's really important. Our motivation in that is very, very important. Um, mm. Abimelech seems to be seeking God. Abraham prays for him on this basis as well. Uh, that that uh, that everything will be well with them, and thankfully, because of Abraham's involvement, it would seem. Uh, All of this comes to comes to be, and the fact, of course, that Abimelech followed the dictates of the Lord that the Lord had given to him. Don't hold on to this wife; you know, let her go back. Um, And so, that's a great lesson for us to learn: is you know, go by uh, go by God. Then, of course, while on Abimelech, let's understand that we need to be graceful and show the grace that God has given us, and. Uh, appreciate, that, uh, appreciate that others right. are going to make mistakes. Others are going to offend us. Others are going to get in the way. But at the end of the day, we do good for them. We provide for them and we help them. And, and we do all we can to be together, yet still, if, this is interesting too, still set boundaries uh, concerning the ways that we deal with each other. Um, and I think, I think you see that in that, uh, covenant with Abimelech at the end of chapter 21.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, another thing I
1: kind of thought of was the idea that we need to have joy over the realized promise and, uh, what a great error Hagar makes in, in scoffing yeah, about the birth right. of, of, of Isaac. And, uh, um, you know, again, this is something that any of us could do i'm not saying that that hagar was just a horrible person for doing this um you know there are plenty of times where i've scoffed i've been prideful in certain situations where i shouldn't have and uh so ultimately i think it's just that that's a great lesson in that when we see god's promises realized in scripture or for example, in our lives when we see someone saved when someone uh, comes out of the baptismal waters a new person right a new creature in the Lord um, that should be a cause for rejoicing in us and how we appreciate that and we want to celebrate that regardless of who that person is regardless of what they've done uh, to us or or you know in our presence before we can appreciate uh, the the truth of God concerning these things and the fact that When he saves, he is delivering on his promise that, that, you know, through his son, through the blood of his son, that our sins could be forgiven and we could have a part in his inheritance forever. And again, in the same sense here with Isaac, that the coming of the son of promise and um, just how, how awesome uh, a joy that must have been for that family
0: yeah it's, I think in twenty one eight you see that with Abraham making a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned, and that's that's pretty pretty awesome how much joy you see that Abraham had. you know and I think in first Corinthians chapter thirteen, uh you know love rejoices in the truth um and it's it's one thing to believe the truth, it's one thing to accept the truth, teach the truth, but it's another thing to rejoice in the truth. And I think it's, it's easy to get caught up in being satisfied with just accepting the truth and teaching the truth without actually rejoicing in it. Um, and I think ultimately rejoicing in the truth is what really grounds you and draws you to the truth because it reveals that there's, there's substance in it. There's reward in it. And so if, if I just believe the truth, but I never rejoice in it, or I don't see other people rejoicing in it, it just, it doesn't look like the truth has much substance. It doesn't look like it has much fulfill, fulfillment, fulfillment. And Abraham was fulfilled by the promise of God. And you see that in him rejoicing in it, you know, and I think that's something we can do not, 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 not just for ourselves and what we received, but I think more important than that even is rejoicing in other people, uh, and the progress that God makes in their lives in the truth, things people do that are associated with the truth, things people say that are, uh, in the truth, um, and seeing growth, you know, growth in people's lives in the Lord to just be something that we make it a point to rejoice in. And I think that that cultivates an attitude where we want, we want to draw closer and closer and closer to the fulfillment of these things that we've been promised because of how much joy that we see is shared in that. Verse two of chapter 21, at the set time of which God had spoken to him. Um, I think there's a really point in application there that God knows when it's best to bring his promise to its full realization and he understands that there's a process of time between when we understand that promise and accept it and when it will be fulfilled and that period of time is very difficult uh, for us to live through um, but God's purpose for that period of time is a purpose of joy and growth and help um, but just just that idea that God has a set time to fulfill his promise, and that's that, that set time is with purpose and with wisdom. Um, I think that's just important in our prayer life. It's important in how I live my life. It's important of how I talk about God and his promises. Um, that God, just like Jesus dying on the cross, there was a time when it was right for Jesus to be raised from the dead. And that time was after his crucifixion, after the endurance of his life. And Jesus, because of his patience and because of his trust, he could love people fully without being distracted by anxiety or worry or of whether or not God was actually going to do this thing that he had promised. And so I think confidence in God's promise that God will do it, um, is something that dramatically changes the way that I live my life and view God. And so just this one, this one single promise being fulfilled, just this one is sufficient to demonstrate God's faithfulness to perfect those things that he speaks.
1: I'm certainly thankful for. Uh, Our listeners, thank you for uh, taking the time to listen to the podcast today. We hope it was useful for you. Next time, Lord willing, we'll be going into uh, chapter 22 of Genesis, and we will talk further about what happens there. Uh, Until then, study well and be lights to his glory. Lord willing, we'll be with you soon.